Welcome, everyone. Welcome. It's a lot of energy in the room. Love it. Love it. God is so good. Uh, so for those who are new with us, you might um, have noticed that we have a lot of kids in our worship time. So we're uh, doing this as kind of an experiment during Lent, and I think it's a good experiment because we're really um, passionate to make kids feel a part of this community. Um, and, you know, there's a time to kind of separate them out and, you know, do little classes for them, things like that. But we are so um, committed to that. We just really want kids to experience the presence of God. I think sometimes we underestimate what kids can experience, right? You know, because kids, like, during worship, like, we're having this, like, time of worship, right? And they're, they're just, like, not even paying attention. Right, to, from our view, it seems like right. They're just like coloring. They're like poking their brother. They're just doing different things, and it's like, what are the, they? You know, they're not. They're not focused. Um, but you have no idea what is happening in their little spirits. Yes. Um, you know, they're picking up. They're absorbing. So, they're learning so much faster than we are as adults every single day. They're just soaking in the atmosphere of a place. And when the atmosphere is like it was this morning, just worship and the presence of God and people longing and people kind of crying before God, they're picking that up. They're feeling that. They're sensing that. It kind of seeps into them. And so uh, it's worth it. Hey, it might be a little bit messier. If you're looking for a church that's super tidy and needy or neat, neat and tidy and there's no kids crying or there's no kids like running around, you want all people sitting perfectly still in their seats and everything quiet, this is not the church for you, okay? Um, because uh, it's going to get it's going to get messy. It's going to get a little loud at times. Amen. You know, I, we had uh, some of you know, most of you probably know, we share our space with uh, a Spanish-speaking church, mostly Guatemalan church that meets on, on Sunday evenings. And we had the pastor and his wife over for dinner on Friday. Just a great time of fellowship. And Pastor Dan uh, was sharing his story and how he became a follower of Jesus when he was five years old. Like tears. I mean, just like the move of God just happened in his heart. And the pastor, you know, just led him to the Lord. <laughs> I mean, just, but it was right in the, in, the, in, the, in the presence of God in a worship time. So we can't underestimate what God can do in the hearts of kids. I mean, right, the disciples... You remember the story, right? They're like, get these kids out of here. This is my paraphrase. Get these kids out of here. They're distracting the ministry of Jesus, trying to minister to the adults. And Jesus was like, you guys are idiots. No, he, he didn't say that. <laughs> but he said, let the little kids come. Let the little children come. And, you know, the kingdom of God is for them, not just for adults. Not just for, you know, like once you turn 17, then you, you know, you can enter into the adult. God cut me off. Or the sound person. I don't know. Or Carlos back there. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, all right, we'll shift gears. You get the point. 
Jesus loves little children, and we want them to be in our midst. And even if it's messy, uh, we, we want them to encounter God. Well, you guys are lucky today, especially if you're here for the first time, because you're going to get two sermons. Uh, God put a little tiny sermon on my heart during the worship time, and it's just a little more of a word. Okay, I'm going to give it to you before I give my sermon today. But it's just, it actually was in me during the prayer time this morning, and I almost shared it with the, the prayer group, but there was so many beautiful prayers happening, I didn't want to interrupt it. And then during worship again, it just came to me again. But it's just a simple thing. We all hunger and thirst. We all want to see God move, right? We all, whatever we want to call it, the fullness of God, revival, outpouring of the Spirit, a spiritual awakening, first grade, second grade, you know, fourth grade awakening, whatever we want to call it, we all want to see God. You know, Moses prayed, show me your glory, <laughs> right? We, this is something we all, I think, hunger for as believers, as followers of Jesus, and the great question is, well, how do we get there? What do we do? I'll give you the pattern right now that I've seen. I've been a follower for almost 34 years now. And I've seen this particular pattern happen through the years. It's an interesting pattern. I haven't lived in the revival fullness for 34 years at all. You know, there's been seasons of dryness, seasons of kind of even lukewarmness. There's been times of fiery passion. I've been up, I've been down. Like most Christians, you know, that's kind of how it works. We ebb and flow in this thing. We need continual um, moves of God. But this is what I've seen that God does like in my own life and in some of the communities I've been a part of. He first brings a spark. He brings a spark of, you know, his love and also of conviction. And there's, what I mean by conviction is he, he just kind of gives you just, the, it, it, it's just like a flash of a thing where you realize, whoa, I need to get rid of that. I need to move aside from that. I need to get rid of this thing in my life. And you just, anybody you want to, you just feel there's an urgency. You want to just get all this stuff off of you. And you start doing that, right? You start Maybe the biblical word would be consecrate. You start consecrating. You start kind of getting rid of some outward things. Uh, you start reorienting your time around the kingdom of God, the pursuit of the kingdom. But it's kind of an outward thing. All right, follow me with this. All right, don't miss this. It's kind of an outward thing. And there's no like crazy change that happens when you do that. It's just this sort of outward consecration, getting rid of uh, junk and excess in our lives or sin if there's sin, and just kind of cleaning it out, cleaning the house out, making room for God. And so when we do that, then we're, you know, in that place of, okay, let's do it. We're pursuing God. But it could, listen, it could still be sort of dry. And we begin to press in. We begin to wait on God. Um, we're feeling better. We're feeling like, okay, I feel like I'm on the right track. You know, we've kind of cleaned some things up. But it's no great power comes when you do that, all right? You're just kind of staying in this thing, and you begin to hunger and thirst for God. You begin to spend more time with God. You're carving out more time for worship. You're getting into the Word more. But no great radical change or revival seems to be happening. All right? This is where the encouragement comes in. Stay in it. If you're in that place right now, stay in it. Keep doing that. Because what 
happens, and I've, this has happened to me so many times through the years, when you stay in it, and sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's even months, okay, that you're just kind of waiting, you're persevering, you're, I don't know why God makes us wait, I do, I have some reasons, but I have some, you know, some inkling to why he does, I think he wants to get us to that place of humility, and you know, just make sure we're kind of ready to receive the thing that we're asking for, um, so he doesn't just give it to us quick, you know, like a cheap, quick thing, he, he kind of lets us linger in the waiting, and the, almost in the dryness, and we've outwardly consecrated, but we can get weary in that place. All right, I've been doing this for two weeks and nothing's happening. You know, I've like gotten rid of all my, you know, outward junk and, you know, kind of fun things or whatever. And I've, you know, consecrated to like seek God and spend more time in the word. And, you know, there's no revival. You know, it's been three weeks. Okay. <laughs> right, listen, I, I get it. You know, we, we can just get impatient, um, but stay in it because what happens next is a work that only God can do. He grants us repentance. Now you say, well, isn't that what we already did? We repented. We you know, turned away from all different sins and put away other things. Yeah, there's repentance is a very um, interesting concept in Scripture. Because on one hand, it's something we do. On the other hand, it's something God does. Okay? So we do our part. We clean out. We clear out. But then God comes and he grants us repentance. And when he does that, it's a much deeper thing. It goes to the deep of the heart. He begins to, it's like a fire almost that purifies and goes to the core of who we are. It's, a, it's sort of a brokenness and a contrite heart. You know, the Lord said he's near to those of a broken and contrite heart. This is a work only he does. You can't break your own heart. You can't produce contrition. I've seen some people try, you know, muster up tears and fake, you know, feeling sorry or something before God. It's like kind of weird. Like you can't make that happen. It, it happens after God manifests his holiness to you and he just makes himself known and the heart is just crushed before him. And suddenly we find ourselves, it's a work of God in a place of humility, a place of brokenness, a place of contrition, and a place of deep spirit-empowered longing that almost is a little, if I can just be honest, a little terrifying sometimes how intense that longing and desire is for God, right? Because before God does that, you just, yeah, you want God. Yeah, I do. I want God. I want to get rid of stuff. I want to, I want to know him. And you feel like that's the right thing. And you feel good about it. You feel strong about it. But when God puts his Holy Spirit upon you and creates that longing in you. It is, it's, it's like an insatiable thirst for God. And that, that's really the beginning of when God begins to pour out his spirit in our lives. That's when the times of refreshing come. That's when the rain is poured out from heaven and we just soak it in. Do you hear what I'm saying? And then after that, what do you want to do? You just want to tell people. So there's a going. There's a sharing. That's when evangelism becomes really easy. Because it's, your heart is so filled with God that you almost can't not 
tell people about who God, and it just comes out naturally. Isn't that what we desire? How many would love to uh, not be awkward in sharing the faith? You know, like, I know, I, it's hard. It's hard. You know, when we just, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to tell this person about it. It just doesn't flow. Like, I, we just, we want to be filled with God's love. Yes, Jesus. So that it just flows naturally. Yes. All right. Well, that's my mini sermon, tiny sermon for you. Uh, we could probably call it a day right there, but I do have a message, okay? <laughs> An important message today. It's the third uh, part of a three-week series that we're doing on worship, okay? And each week I've been talking about, I'm just going to jump right into it, because uh, I don't have too much time here. But each week I've been talking about a specific aspect of our lives that we can give to God as an act of worship, right? So the first week we talked about time and how we give our time to God, we surrender our time to God. Second week, we talked about our God-given abilities or talents, giftings, and how we give those things to God as, a, as an act of worship, as an offering. Um, and today, I'm sorry for first-time visitors today, but today we're going to talk about worship as it relates. We're going to talk about worship as it relates to money. Or I guess we could say it the other way around. We're going to talk about money as it relates to worship. Yes. All right. Throughout the series, I've been making this one point. I hope you get this phrase in your, your head. Worship is essentially what we do with what we have been given. Worship is what we do with what we have been given. And we're talking practical. We're talking about our giftings. We're talking about the time that we have. We're talking about our money, our things. It's more, as we've emphasized each week, it's more, worship is more than just singing. Wow, did we have a beautiful time this morning singing and worshiping to God. I believe the Lord is pleased with that. He loves to hear our sing when it comes out of a, a pure heart. But it's more practical than that. It's what we give to him in our everyday lives. Worship is a lifestyle. And it's giving cheerfully in sacrificial ways, um, in ways that are often secret, in ways that don't, aren't seen by other people. Uh, these, are, these are the things that honor God. And we'll, we'll get deeper into this. So since it's so quiet in here, um, let me first address the elephant in the room. Money seems to be the most awkward topic for pastors to teach on in the church. And here's why I believe that is. Three quick reasons. First, it is human nature, even as Christians, right, to, to love and to be protective of what we have. Because money gives us security, right? Money empowers us to buy things that give us pleasure, Money can even give us status amongst you know, certain people we're trying to fit in with. Uh, we need money. We, we do need money. We, without money, we'd have no clothes. We'd have no shelter right over our head, no roof, no food. Money is important to us as humans. I mean, it's, it's as important to us as the air that we breathe, 
clean water. I mean, it's up there. We need money to survive. You say, well, I don't need any money. I got, I got free housing and I got free... Well, somebody's paying for that. <laughs> you know, it's other people's money that's actually paying for that. Your ta- you know, our tax dollars are kind of going to that. We need money to survive. So we naturally get a little bristly when anyone, whether it's a preacher or a car salesman or even a friend begins to apply pressure on us to give up our money. It got real quiet in here. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Am I right? It's not just, I don't think it's just me. We all, come on, this is like a human nature thing. All right, second, preachers, especially in America, sadly, are notorious for using manipulation tactics to kind of bully Christians into giving money for the purpose of their own prosperity, making them rich. Some will even use the plight of the poor and the needy. They will put up pictures of, you know, children starving and different things to, you know, manipulate the hearts of people who don't realize that the money isn't actually going to that or very little of it is going to help the needy. It's actually going to line the big fat wallet of the evangelists. And because many of these preachers have been exposed, we are understandably very cautious about this whole thing. And perhaps it's getting even more vulnerable, okay? Perhaps another reason it is awkward for pastors to preach messages about money is that usually the pastor is personally affected financially by whether the congregation obeys the message or not. So pastors can be a little extra emotional and passionate about the importance of giving since, well, you know, their family is supported by the giving of the church. And there can even be, I would say, a measure of fear and anger mixed into a pastor's sermon on money. It's not even necessarily sinfully selfish, okay? Um, But the preacher cannot help but to secretly hope that, you know, the people can be persuaded to give or to give more because it has a direct bearing on, on his own financial well-being. I am not exempt from that. I I confess that. Um, I have been, in a sense, for the last 20 years, dependent on the offerings of people in the church. For the first few years, we had some outside support, but really, it's always whoever's coming here and what people give. That's kind of how we make a living and other staff in this church. um, That's kind of how we survive. If, you know, here, here's, I've had to process this early on so I don't get too, like, fearful or angry or whatever. Um, my true dependence is on the Lord. Uh, so ultimately, I rest in Him, which is very freeing to work through that um, as a pastor. And if, uh, for whatever reason, the financial stream dries up at Wren, it's okay. Like, I've, I've come to a place of peace with that. And it's God as our provider. And I'm, my trust is in, in him. 
So I, I, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And I hope uh, you don't feel any fear <laughs> or anger in this message. I mean, we're doing fine financially. We're not in a desperate place or anything. This is kind of my once a year pretty much message on money um, that I try to do just to teach everyone. But that said, um, you know, despite it being a little awkward for the pastor to talk about money, and I always do feel awkward. I mean, we've probably gone too far through the years. Some people are like, how do we even give in this church? You guys never talk about money. You know, they just think we just have tons of money probably fall from the sky or something like, because we've just kind of swung the pendulum so far the other way because, I don't know, people don't want to hear about it. We don't want to talk. But we've kind of come to a place where, no, it would be actually wrong to never talk about it because it's actually a huge theme in Scripture. And that would be me giving into the fear of people right? You know, pastors do that. Like, well, I don't want to, if they don't want to hear it, then I'm not going to, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, That's actually wrong. Um, So that's why we talk about it on occasion. And it ran in this church. We're careful not to talk about it too much. Okay. Um, Usually about once a year, I said, you know, maybe twice. I might poke at it here and there, and we'll try to give you some basic instruction, you know, like each Sunday you might hear somebody get up, give a welcome, and tell us how we can give in the church. I think that's appropriate. But we don't pass a basket. I don't know if we've ever, have we ever passed a basket? Um, Maybe because I've been so personally traumatized by my childhood with the huge, I was such a little kid, but the huge guy, you know, with the long pole that just, you know, puts it and just kind of stares. All right, kid, cough it up. You know, he didn't say that, but it's kind of how I felt. Like, oh my gosh, okay, I gotta, you know, like throwing in coins and stuff like that. Like, because we, we don't want that kind of giving. We don't want guilt giving. We we don't. It's not. We don't want that. Um, so we try to be sensitive to the fact also that people, especially skeptical people in New England, uh, perceive churches as just out to get money. Um, and listen. So I know that is sometimes true, yes. but listen, I have found, I, I know a lot of pastors in Rhode Island, especially in the greater Providence area. We all kind of hang out together. We share meals together. We share our lives together. I have, it is so rare to come across a pastor that is greedy and has like gotten into the ministry for the money. <laughs> like, that's kind of dumb, you know? It's like not, not a great idea um, because there's not a lot of money in it, especially in a place like New England. Um, a lot of pastors are having to work second jobs. They make very little money like we did for a long time before you can actually, you know, support your family. Um, so I'm just kind of putting that out there. That That's really not the typical uh, most pastors, I feel like, are very generous. And listen, the church is a church is like, well, it isn't like it literally is a nonprofit. And just like other nonprofits that need to raise money, and I mean, it's actually harder, I think, sometimes for churches because we're not applying for grants and all that kind of stuff out there. We're just dependent on the generous donations of people who uh, come to the church. Um, it's just like any other nonprofit. And that's, uh, that's always been the case for us. Um, all right. 
that was my first point. It was kind of an introduction, all right? But I do have points. I don't know why, but I've just been in a number phase lately. So this is, if you're taking notes, this is number two. <laughs> okay? This is number two. A lot of people, including many Christians, don't think money has much at all to do with being spiritual or a relationship with God. And here's why that's wrong. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Unquote. That's Jesus. Hebrews 13 says, flee from the love of money. There are serious and sober warnings throughout Scripture uh, to those who love money and to those who are rich, and most of us in this place are rich. If, if you have a car, you're like in that top, top percent, um, you know, compared to the, the rest of the 7 billion people or whatever it is on the planet. Uh, we, we are rich in this country. Um, so to say that God doesn't care about what we do with our money just isn't true. It's not biblical at all. Just a casual reading of the Bible, especially the New Testament, and you'll realize it's important how we manage, how we steward our money. It's a huge theme. Jesus talked about it. John the Baptist spoke about it. As soon as he, you know, people were asking, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, how do we repent? And, and so much of what he instructed them had to do with what they did with their, kind of, with their money or their belongings. If you have two codes, give one away. <laughs> you know, very practical stuff. Well, that's not very spiritual. No, it's, that's, that's kind of the fruit of God really moving in your heart is that you're, you want to give. First yes. Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 say this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That sounds like money has something to do, right, with our spiritual life. And then it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving for money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 1 Timothy, also chapter 6, uh, verses 17 and 19, say this. As for the rich in this present age, again, this is, kind of, this is kind of all of us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. And the exhortation, he says, is this. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves a treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Wow. So much more I could say about that, but I'm going to hit my third point here. Number three, God doesn't need our money as if he's a desperate, broke friend. God is not begging us to help him. 
because, you know, his church buildings are falling apart and, you know, there's chipping paint and the boiler needs to be replaced. God is not pathetically asking for us to help him because, you know, he's just struggling to manage all the churches around the world. No, God owns everything. Amen. And he can actually make whatever he wants out of nothing. Right? He can just speak a word. I mean, that's how... This, think about the earth and all the rich resources of the planet. Right? Let there be light. I mean, he just speaks it into being. So he's not, he's not looking at us like, oh, please, guys, can you just, you know, give a little bit more? No. It's not about that at all. It is to make us like him. The call to give is to make us generous like the Lord is generous. It's about character becoming like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 says, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And he's speaking about giving. Excel in giving. It's a part of becoming a person of character and becoming like Jesus. All right, number four. It is true that churches, ministries, and missionaries are dependent on money, but we don't give primarily to keep those things afloat financially or even out of affection for, you know, for the missionary or a little bit of that is okay. That shouldn't be the primary reason. Um, if, if your giving is based on your love and affection for me and my wife, uh, that's probably not going to last. I mean, my wife is very lovable, so maybe it could go on for a long time, but you're probably going to fall out of love with me pretty quick. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not about just, you know, it's not sustained by that. That's not the primary reason we give or because we feel sorry for the missionary because they're, you know, the kids don't have shoes or something. That's, sure, that can be a motive in there. But our primary motivation for giving is worship. It's worship. It's to honor him. It's to please him. Philippians 4 uh, speaks to this a little bit. No church entered into, this is Paul speaking to the church, into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's something to meditate on there. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. And this is what I want to emphasize here. He talks about the gifts you sent being a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Whoa. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our gifts to God, our generosity to God, it's noticed. You know, even if the, the people don't notice, even if the missionary that you support never gives you a, oh, thank you so much for, you know, helping, or the church, I mean, you give to the church, really, nobody knows, you know, a few people know, but it's like, it's kind of a secret thing. But this, it's, we do it for God. 
We do it as an act of worship to him, and it transforms us. All right, number five. Each of these could be a whole sermon in themselves. We could do, how many would love that? A 16-part series on money. No, we don't want that. All right, so I'm going to do it all today, all right, in the next 15 minutes. Number five, we also don't give because of what some say is a biblical command to tithe. Now, I know there's some arguing about this amongst pastors and all that, but I've come to a place where I just don't think that tithing 10% of your income is something we are commanded to do by the New Testament. Um, In the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded to tithe. And actually, when you really study it, it's more of a, it it actually works out to be 20 to 25%. All right. And it was more of a taking care of the priest, taking care of the temple, also kind of running the government. It was more of a combined support the work of God and tax all right? It was a combined thing. Uh, so we are not, I mean, most of us are American citizens, I'm guessing, in here, who pay taxes. Um, most of us aren't Jewish. You know, we're not under the law anymore. We're not a Jew uh, living in that nation. It's, it's, this, is a, this is a new day. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Um, we're already paying a lot of taxes too much tax, right? And I, again, you know, I just don't think there's any evidence in the New Testament that Christians need to tithe. And what I mean by tithe, some might not be familiar with that term, is if you make $100, tithe means 10%. If you make $100, you cut aside $10 of that and you give it to the church. That's kind of what is taught in a lot of places, and I just really don't think it's biblical. All right, stay with me. Don't run. Let's not end here, okay? <laughs> stay with me. But I just, I think the New Testament teaches us rather to be generous, which could be 10%, but it's just to be generous. And this is related. Okay, so number six. So the call to followers of Jesus is to a lifestyle of generosity, that our giving would be cheerful, sacrificial, Um, even in secret, consistent. And and each of us would work that out between ourselves and the Lord. I'm not going to tell you how much you should give. I don't know how much you're supposed to give. You know, you you have to work that out between you and you and Jesus. And and listen, it might be, I probably it's most common for, um, and we've practiced this for years, but, you know, we've always given as Christians for 30, almost 34 years, at least 10%. But sometimes we've given a lot more because we've had a lot more. And, you know, but I think it's a good practice to give 10%. But like I said a couple weeks ago, if you make a million dollars a year and you only give 10% to the kingdom of God, that is lame. I'll just say it right right off the bat. God has not given you a million dollars a year to spend for yourself. So you can go like on a vacation every other week and do all this stuff and have, you know, like multiple houses and boats and different, whatever. Like that's not why he gives us as followers of Jesus a million dollars a year. Now, if you make $10,000 a year, and you're giving 10% of that to the kingdom, that is extravagant. Yes, that is like crazy generosity. 
So that's why it's not, that's, it's, what generosity looks like for each person is different. But, you know, it's like everything. We just love rules, right? We just love, okay, just give me the, tell me what to do. Check it off. Okay, 10% to, you know, go do my, read, read my Bible for a half an hour in the morning. You know, dude, we just like, we, we're like Pharisees. We're like the religious teachers. Like, we just love the outward things because then, you know, we can just check off all the boxes and get God off of our back. Mm, Jesus. And then just live our own lives but then feel somehow that we're like spiritual or religious or righteous and we're good enough? No, that's not. God doesn't let us off the hook that easily. We have to work it out between us and the Lord. What does generosity look like for me? And that's going to be different in different for different people, but also for different seasons. Um, you know, if you're, I mean, what, what we were making, you know, just right out of college and different things, there's, you know, like, you're, it, it, there's so little at, at certain seasons. And then other seasons, there's more of an abundance and overflow and surplus. And so you have more to give. It's going to look different for each season of your life. Second Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Number seven, our giving is about stewardship of our money. Okay, what we should spend, what we should save, what we should give. It's about managing our money. And we should do this in a, in a thoughtful way. And I think I just would say here, don't be afraid of that. Mm. You know, I think sometimes we, we're afraid to like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't buy anything anymore. No, God has given us money and provided so we can, it's okay to buy something that is just a fun thing to buy. All right? Sometimes we feel like that's just, God would never be pleased with. Now, if you're a parent, you know that's just messed up, right? Because as a parent, don't you just love, I love Christmas time, you know, and just like buying things for the kids at their birthdays. And God actually takes pleasure when we, when he really provides something for us to enjoy. All right. So don't get too extreme about this either. There's a place to give. There's a place to spend and there's a, a place, or I should say a time, to save. All those things are good and kind of sanctioned by God. And we, you know, we have to, again, we just want the rule, okay? Oh, good, 10%. I don't have to think about this anymore. No, it's, we need to put more thought into it and listen to the Holy Spirit. Number eight, a little bit more serious here. We shouldn't give to churches or ministries we know nothing about. Some are not trustworthy. Some, in fact, exploit gullible Christians all for the sake of gain. And scripture warns about this over and over. That some ministries are just greedy for money. So research the organizations you give to. Is there transparency? Is there accountability? How is the money being used? Don't think that you're doing something wrong by, oh, I should just, you know... Uh, respond to the appeal, the emotional appeal to give. Like, no, who, who are these people? Like, what is this ministry? What, what is it? Don't, it's not, and they'll tell you, like, you need to do this because, you know, if you don't, you're disobeying or whatever, and all kinds of manipulation happens. Listen, do your homework 
Uh, don't just give carelessly to ministries and missionaries or whatever out there. Yep. Just, you know, research it and give intelligently. Uh, I mean, if, if you were stewarding or managing my money, I wouldn't want you to just throw it around to anybody. I would be like, what do you mean you just gave away $1,000? To who? Yeah. You know, like, wh- wh- who? Do you know them? No, I don't, I don't know. But I just was fel- feeling moved. Uh, uh, okay. Um, are they even Christian? Like, what is, like, what? <laughs> this is my money. <laughs> okay. So, you know, really, if you think about all of your money as God's money, yeah. we should be thoughtful Amen. and intelligent with how we, how we spend it. Number nine, and related to that previous point, to withhold our money because we don't trust anyone is extreme, okay? And is usually just an excuse for not giving at all. So find a church. I know like, I don't know, half of you or whatever, members of this church and some are visiting and some are, I don't, you know, just here, I don't know some of you or whatever. So this can apply to, but wherever, whoever you are and wherever you're living, even if you're here for a year or two and you're part of the church and then you go to whatever season of life, find a local church that you can trust. And I think, again, I I kind of like smaller churches. I feel like the bigger churches are, the harder they are to, it's like, what's actually happening? You know, it's hard to get to know the pastor and it's hard to get to know. That's why I feel like, you know, smaller churches, it's, it's much easier to kind of get a handle on the authenticity yes. and it's easier to, to sort of trust. That's just my opinion, but, yes. but find a local church you can support and tr- that you trust um, and give to them, give to them generously and find a handful of missionaries as well, or ministries that you can support and trust. Number 10, one of the reasons some Christians don't give or don't give much is because they feel like they don't have much to give. But what blesses God, listen, is not how much we give, it's not how much we give, but it's what we give in light of what we have, right? It's not how much we give compared to the person sitting next to us. God doesn't care about that. And he God, Jesus illustrates this perfectly in Mark chapter 12. He says, Jesus comes in, talk about awkward. He sits down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Whoa, okay. So many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. Jesus notices what we give, even the smallest of the penny. Yes. This lady came up, you know, I just pictured this like little tiny lady, you know, and just blink. You know? And maybe, you know, the people like, oh, really? Okay, a penny? Seriously? You know, and they came with their self-righteousness and dumped in large amounts of money in the bucket. And Jesus was impressed with the widow dropping in the penny. Why? Because it was what she gave compared to not others, but compared to what she had. Yep. That's what moves the heart of God. Yes. 
On the flip side, some don't give to their church because they feel like the church doesn't need any more money. Have you ever felt that? I have. Not with this church, but... <laughs> In fact, the pastors seem well-paid. Okay, the building is beautiful. The church even has money in savings. You know, maybe they have millions of dollars in savings or whatever. Um, and they feel like, okay, I'm poor and the church is rich. So I'm not giving to the church. So they don't give. But again, giving is not primarily for the purpose of keeping a church financially afloat. It is for the purpose of making us more like Jesus. When we give sacrificially, generously, and secretly, we become like Christ. Now, there could be other issues with that situation, you know. Like, again, it kind of goes back to the previous point of, like, find a church that you can trust. Uh, I think that is important. But you shouldn't, that shouldn't be the motivation. Whoa, geez, there's no heat in this place today. Uh, you know, we, gotta, we, we should start giving for at least a month, you know, so, so they can get the heat going. Like, we shouldn't be thinking in those kind of terms at all. We're giving as worship, and we're giving to become more like him. 11. One of the reasons some Christians, I'm going to speed it up a bit, don't give generously to their church is because there is no glory in it. Giving to a church consistently might mean making a monthly online donation of whatever, 500 or 900, whatever it is that, you know, you'd come up, whatever that number is between you and the Lord. And guess what happens when you do that? Guess who notices? Nobody. The bookkeeper. You know, maybe an elder or two. No, but there's no trumpets. There's no, there's no uh, bouquet of flowers at your door on Monday. Thank you for supporting Renaissance Church. I think the bookkeeper sends out a letter that says thank you, you know, in January and gives you your giving statement and that kind of thing. But nobody noticed. It's done in secret. Can I just say it? it's sort of boring? Okay? And sometimes we like to give directly to people. Right? Why do we why do we do that? And I'm not saying that's always wrong, but we're like, oh man, the Lord put it on my heart to like give you this hundred dollar bill and and because what does it do? It kind of bonds us with the person a little bit. And I'm not saying that's wrong. We we might want to do that and that we might feel led to do that. That's okay. It can be a, a connection with that person. But if that's the only way we give, that, there's something off about that. Yep. We should be very content to give in secret. Jesus put it this way, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Number 12, giving should never be done out of a sense of dread and duty. As I always say, if you can't give cheerfully to Ren Church, then keep it. Keep your money. We don't want grumpy dollars. God wants cheerful givers. Our giving should flow naturally out of an immense gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. And I think, you know, God takes no pleasure in resentful giving or obligated giving. 
Uh, so we want our giving to be out of gratitude. 13, some worry that if they fully surrender their finances to God, that God will then take everything they have and leave them poor. This is actually funny and pathetic. I mean, do we really view God like that? Is he really like... Listen, if he wanted everything you have, he would just take it, right? It's his anyways. Surrendering all to God doesn't mean you clear out all your money and give it to the, to, to the local church. It's just this sense of trusting that it's all in God's hands. All right, a few more quick ones. 14, some don't give or don't give much because they don't have much but they don't have much because they are lazy and refuse to work. Now, this is touchy, I know, okay, since some people have certain disabilities or whatever, um, and they're unable to work. And that, so we're not talking about that. That's, those are exceptions to the rule. Um, but I'm talking about some people who could work, but they just don't want to work. Uh, the biblical word for that is idle. And the Apostle Paul warns against this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 to, t- 6 to 10. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. You know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Those are strong words. Especially in a day where, you know, it's like, whatever. Oh, I don't know. They don't, just don't want to work. And it's like, fine. It's not fine. Okay, we should, we should be working with our own hands. In fact, Ephesians says we should no longer steal and we should work, you know, we should work with our own hands so that we have something to give to those in need. There's a purpose for our work. It's not just to feed ourselves. It's to have an overflow and to be able to, to, to be generous. All right, two more. Some Christians don't give, this is going to get touchy, or don't give much because like many Americans, they spend beyond their means. They either spend all they make or worse, they spend more than they make and go into debt. This is terrible stewardship. It is rooted in entitlement and a lack of self-control. We feel like since others around us have certain things, we should have those things too, even though we can't afford them. And as stewards of the money we earn, we should absolutely, listen, this is very practical, be on a budget. You should know how much you make and you should know how much you spend and you should be, you should be in control of your own finances. Not just like, I don't know, I'm just making some money and I'm giving money and I'm just, you know, spending money. Like, we should be aware of what's happening. Like, take control of what we're bringing in and what we're spending and what we're giving. And related to that, this is my last point, we should always give first and not last. Some Christians don't give much because they basically see what they have left over at the end of the month. And then give that. And it's like there's nothing left over. Or there's very little. But they comfort themselves and say, well, you know, that's all I had left over. But the problem with that is it requires zero faith. 
we should come up with whatever percentage we're going to give of our income and give that first before we pay any bill or buy anything. It's God first. And then everything flows from that. So for those that, and I know many Christians do give 10%, and many Christians have that habit. So whatever you make, let's say you make uh, you know, $2,000 a month, all right? So that the first thing that you pay, however you pay, it's that $200 is going to the kingdom of God. It's going to the work of the church. And then you decide to live on the 1800 And how many know that, you know, when you do this, it's just, it is a, an issue of faith. Like, we've, we've lived lean at times, but listen, we've been giving at least 10% for thir- almost 34 years of whatever, whether we've, you know, had lean times or more abundant times, you know, my wife works now, so we, uh, you know, we're both kind of working at, you know, this time, you know, we don't have little kids, it's just, you know, all the different seasons, we've always given, and God has just taken care of us. And I've never met someone who has given to God generously and consistently that isn't not, this is, we're not talking about like give to God and you're going to be rich. No, that's not about that. That's wicked, that kind of theology. Um, we're just talking about God takes care of you. He will provide for you. He puts a peace in your heart so that you don't fear And I know because I've put the care of my life in God's hands. And I give to him. It's like, God, help yourself. And he, in turn, doesn't make us rich. He may. You know, I always try to convince him that I would be great to be rich. I would be so generous. I'd give. And he's like, he's not not buying it. (laughs) He's not buying it. I think he knows something that I don't know. (laughs) Like money would spoil me or ruin me in some way. But, But he does give me a peace that he is committed to take care of my life through thick and thin, even if the earth gives way and crumbles into the sea, he's going to watch out for me and my family. And that, you want, you want financial security? That's it right there. It's a word from God to your spirit that says, I am going to take care of you. And your, genera- your generosity blesses me. That's a different kind of financial security. Um, all right. Thanks for letting me go a little longer today. Give right. the growth off in your neck. What do you think? From your heart. For, there, listen to Rose. Listen to Rose, yeah. That's a good question. That's, you know, people fight about that, gross net. But that's what I'm saying. It's not really a, a mathematical word problem. Um, it's just... We figure it out between us and the Lord. But that's a good question. Um, we're not opening up the floor for questions right now, but <laughs> um, let's, Shane, do you have a couple? You want to close this out? All right, come on up.